Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer here at CNN, and this is The Daily DC. We will take a one-day break, however, from electoral politics to focus on coronavirus today, the worldwide outbreak. It has alarmed public health officials and threatens to cripple the world economy. There are, as of this taping, 62 cases in the United States. These include 44 people who were aboard the Diamond Princess cruise ship, three people repatriated from China, and 15 cases that just came in the United States. Two new cases were reported Friday among the Diamond Princess passengers. That makes a total of 285 individuals from that Diamond Princess line who are currently under quarantine in the United States, according to the CDC's website. Worldwide, there have been more than 2,800 deaths and 83,000 cases of the coronavirus. There are fears that the everyday effects of this outbreak, which have already hit so much of Asia, in Japan, the government has uh, voted to close all schools, that those will start to migrate to the U.S. So I have the perfect guests to go into this story with me. Elizabeth Cohen is a senior medical correspondent for CNN. She's down in Atlanta. And John Harwood is a CNN White House reporter. He's over at the White House right now to talk about the government response. Thank you both for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. Elizabeth, I'll go to you first. What do we know right now about this disease? Is it is it waning at this point or is it still gaining steam or do we just not know what it's doing? Oh, I think it appears for sure that it is gaining. Uh, This is going to get worse before it gets better. That's what the CDC seems to be telling us. That's what infectious disease experts tell us. How bad it will get is yet to be seen, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. So you've been uh, on on CNN a lot talking about all of this. Right now you're on a politics podcast. And uh, in case you hadn't, you know, the folks out there hadn't noticed, we're in the middle of a presidential primary. Super Tuesday, uh, the biggest date of the primary season is on Tuesday. Uh, South Carolina is on Saturday, the primary there. Do people need to be nervous about going out in public in the U.S. right now? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't advise anyone to be nervous about that. I think what you have to do is all the things that you do during flu season to keep yourself safe. If you see that someone's sick, stay very far away from them. Wash your hands as you always should. Um, you know, keep your house clean as you as you always should. Sneeze into your inner elbow as you always should. Um, it's. I think the infectious disease doctors tell me that in their heads, they're thinking about this like flu, that there are many similarities between flu and this novel coronavirus. And so anything that you would do during flu season, you should be doing now. And, you know, everyone's different. I think decisions that people are going to make, for example, about travel to Europe, let's say, would be different if it's two healthy people going versus someone taking their elderly mother with them who maybe has underlying health conditions. Different people are going to make different decisions. 
Um, I, you know, and, and to that point, I guess maybe California is probably happier than ever that they've moved towards a vote by mail system uh, instead of putting people, uh, in, you know, in in contact with each other. And let's hope all the, the League of Women Voters volunteers out there all have plenty of um, the, the, you know, hand wash out there for all the folks. Now, John, you uh, pay a lot of attention to to markets and you're covering the White House. Let's look at this at a, a kind of a more macro level um, D- Donald Trump uh, wants to, he, he's trying to have kind of two things happen here. Number one, he wants people to be calm about this, and he also doesn't want to rattle markets. And it seems like the way he's handled this though, so far, neither of those things seem to be happening for him. Well, as a political and economic and market matter, it's plain that the administration's response has not been successful. Um, that doesn't mean that it has not uh, been successful in the main in terms of the public health risk, uh, uh, because as Elizabeth said, this is uh, something that if you if you treat it like the flu, uh, uh, in an abundance of caution, that you can minimize the spread. It's it is more lethal than the flu, uh, at least based on what we know so far, but not lethal in the way that Ebola was, for example, or SARS or MERS. Um, but the way the uh, when the market fell on Monday and Tuesday, the president and his aides initially adopted a kind of blithe tone saying, um, well, this is a buying opportunity for investors. Stocks are cheap. Well, it's kept going down uh, steadily since then. And when the administration had its news conference on Wednesday evening attempting to reassure the public, stock futures went down during the press conference. And that's partly because the president... Uh, has not uh, had a clear message about the situation. He's sort of equivocated on how much money we need to uh, respond to it, on how lethal it is, on whether it's going to go away on its own or not, on whether uh, community spread of this virus is going to happen or not. He's contradicted some of his uh, health professionals at the CDC, people like Anthony Fauci. Um, So that's been the problem from the administration point of view. And I think over a a number of weeks going forward, we'll see whether from the public health aspect, um, it is more successful than it looks right now, uh, which will in turn have a knockoff effect of calming investors and calming the markets. Not only has Trump contradicted people like Anthony Fauci, but it also appears from our reporting out of the White House that they're essentially going to clamp down uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but at least coordinate the messaging through Vice President Mike Pence, uh, somebody whose uh, record as a as a public health advocate is spotty at best. Um, he was in Indiana, uh, you know, governor of Indiana when there was an HIV outbreak there, and and his actions or lack thereof um, are are credited with potentially not um, you know helping get that under control as quickly as possible. Now, this is a strange way to pivot, but yesterday I spent a lot of time because these are the strange kind of things I do looking at previous. Outbreaks, and there is, of course, the uh, 1918 uh, Spanish flu pandemic. Although uh, some people think that the Spanish flu actually started here in the U.S., um, according to what I was reading yesterday, it killed tens of millions of people worldwide. That is like the worst possible case scenario for something like this. And I was reading this uh, element by by John Barry, who wrote a book about this, and his argument was that the Spanish flu was made much worse because Public health officials 
and the government at the time were misleading people. They were trying to be uh, they were projecting a lot of happy talk. They were saying you don't need to be as worried about this. I'm not saying that's what's going on right here. But I do think um, and Elizabeth, I'm interested to get your take on this. How important is it that people trust the government in these kinds of scenarios? Oh, I mean, trust is so, so important because when the government needs to tell people, for example, you need to be quarantined, people need to listen. So trust and honesty in an outbreak are so crucial. Without it, things get out of control. Now, you know, in my mind, I think that people are going to listen to doctors, people with actual medical degrees, more than they're going to listen to President Trump. And so I want to read you something that Dr. Nancy Messonnier at the CDC said earlier this week. Um, And she's referring to something called community spread, which means that it's not a traveler who gets coronavirus or a traveler's husband or wife who gets coronavirus, but someone who's out in the community, as has happened now in Northern California at UC Davis, there's a patient where they don't know where she got coronavirus. That's community spread. So Dr. Messonnier said, we expect to see community spread in this country. It's not so much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather a question of exactly when this will happen and, this is important, and how many people in this country will have severe illness. So she's saying it's not a question of whether people will have severe illness. It's a question of how many. I I just have to think that people are going to listen to Tony Fauci, Nancy Messonnier, more more than they are going to listen to Donald Trump. I mean, they actually are real doctors. Well, and, and Zach, to follow on to Elizabeth's point, um, uh, that is what the president contradicted uh, CDC on. Um, and there's nothing wrong with coordinating messaging, but the coordinated message should be coming from people like the uh, likes of Dr. Messonnier and not from the president, because the president uh, has not focused on the details. He's not an expert on this. He doesn't have a high level of credibility with the public. But people like Tony Fauci and Nancy Messonnier do have high credibility. And the more the administration could, can put out people with actual expertise, um, that will be helpful. The same goes with Mike Pence. Mike Pence actually has a bad record on public health, uh, so he does not have a high level of credibility here either. Uh, but there are people in the administration who do. And Zach, can I jump in here for a minute? I think something that, that's important to point out here is that if this is going to be a tough crowd to rein in. I don't know if Pence can do it, because it's not just people in the administration, but it's the county and state officials who do sort of the real, um, you know, legwork on outbreaks. They're the ones who do the quarantining and the isolation and the contact tracing. And if he if, if he thinks, if anyone thinks that, you know, local officials in California are going to listen to Mike Pence and do what he says, I think they should probably think again. There was a press conference that Governor Newsom in um, California had yesterday where it was clear that he was saying, hey, something is wrong here on the federal level. Yeah. And Trump has said that he would be ready to quarantine cities. But ultimately, that is something that would be, you would think, adjudicated at the state level, because that's where most of the public health happens. And it's more of a, correct me if I'm wrong, it's more of a coordinating thing for the for the feds at the at the national level. Like, how does that work? How how would how would you even go about quarantining an American city? Would it be martial law? Would you have the police in the streets? Would it be you would just ask people not to go to school? Would you ask, you know, the, the, the school districts not to convene? I, I just this would be so unprecedented for anything. Thing that I've experienced in my lifetime, I'm not sure how it would work in a free society like this one. 
Right. I mean, that's it's really hard to envision this. I, I remember when I was in public health school, quarantining on, on that level was seen as like a nuclear option. I mean, that's just something that, you know, really hasn't been done before in recent memory. You know, even what's happening now hasn't been done bef- done in recent memory. Even quarantining large groups, which we're doing right now, for example, the Diamond Princess passengers and others, um, even that is something public health really, really hesitates to do unless they absolutely need to do it. It is hard to imagine what a large-scale quarantine like quarantining a city would look like. And I think that there are some excellent, there's an excellent chance that it would not necessarily work well because people would defy the quarantine. And and then what do you do? Right. And as far as Trump is concerned, if you think about his rhetoric on other issues, and obviously those are totally different, but just say immigration, this is something where he had threatened to close the borders with Mexico over over something that's not even close, uh, you know, arguably that that's it, it, totally different than this. But he has not used that kind of rhetoric with coronavirus, at least not yet. John, why do you think that is? Well, he did um, uh, act quickly at the beginning of the situation and uh, restricted flights from China to the United States. Um, he's not using uh, uh, rhetoric comparable to rhetoric about the Mexican border because there's not really much evidence that it's, uh, uh, coronavirus is coming in through that source. Um, the president was complaining the other day that he'd been accused of racism uh, when he um, uh, uh, restricted flights uh, in from China. So uh, he's clearly conscious of potential backlash from rhetoric of that kind, but um he did say at that news conference on Wednesday evening he was considering adding new restrictions from countries like Italy, which is starting to see uh, outbreaks of coronavirus. And uh, we'll see in the next few days if the if uh, the situation seems to be leveling off, or if we're on an inexorable march toward a pandemic, then I would expect that the president is going to take uh, uh, more stringent travel restrictions. Do you think that? You know- Go ahead, Elizabeth. I was just thinking that, you know, I think that it's one thing to quarantine. Let's say Ebola had gotten to community spread in this country, which, of course, it it didn't. But if it had, I think that people might be able to wrap their heads around the need for a quarantine for a disease that kills 50 percent, at least 50 percent of its victims. I mean, I was in Africa during the Ebola um, outbreak and, and it was I mean, those people were incredibly sick. That is not the case with coronavirus. I mean, the mortality rate is maybe two or three percent. It could be even lower. There are people who are getting this new coronavirus who have no symptoms whatsoever. They are not even sick. There are some people who are getting a scratchy throat. I mean, most of us have that, you know, probably every other day. It is going to be very difficult to sell widespread quarantining when that's the kind of illness that people are getting. People will think, what is the president doing this we we're, we have scratchy throats. This is crazy. Um, so I don't, I don't that large scale quarantining seems like a a, a, a difficult scenario. Um, yesterday, Mike Pence, he, he went and he spoke at CPAC, which is a, a gathering for conservatives, and he said something really important. He said uh, that th- now is not the time for partisanship. And then moments later, he sort of launched into a, you know, screed in an attack on Democrats about being socialists and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we, we are at a place in this country where we're going into this election and the two parties are fighting with each other. With regard to coronavirus, they're sniping, uh, sort of sniping. You know, Trump is doing some sniping over how much money should be given 
given to fight this? Should it be $4 billion? Should it be $8 billion? Um, is, is there room for the parties to come together over this, or should we expect them to continue to, uh, you know, will it continue to be politics as usual on this issue? John? Well, I think they, there is room for the two parties to come together. Uh, you've had both Republicans and Democrats in the Hill saying the administration's request for $2.5 billion was not enough. Uh, and I think you will see bipartisan um, consensus achieved uh, between the House and the Senate. Uh, but this idea that uh, uh, partisan bickering is the problem here is nonsense. If partisan bickering uh, were the problem, we wouldn't have had three years of uh, financial markets rising. The markets are reacting to reality here, to the real threat to economic activity, to the potential that consumers who have sustained the economy will uh, stop spending and uh, push us into recession. Um, It it is uh, common for an administration to look to blame other factors when something happens that creates a bad set of circumstances for them. And that's exactly what this administration is doing. Elizabeth, I I just want to, you know, go back to what we talked about a little bit at the beginning. What is the timeline for when people should be ready for this kind of large scale effect here in the U.S.? How long will that take or do we know? Yeah, I'm not. It's unclear how large of how large that effect will be. And it really depends what you mean by large scale effect. It's you know, what we've seen so far is that there have been cases in this country since at least mid-January, so a little bit over a month now. And we have not seen, or at least that we know of, we have not seen, you know, rampant spread of this disease. And I think that that's a good sign. I think many people have asked me, both friends, colleagues, everybody, my mother, um, my sister, uh, what can I do to prepare? And what I tell them is, look, you should be doing what you would do anyhow. You should be washing your hands. You should be staying away from sick people. Um, If you have an immune issue, you should think about what other steps you would want to take, places you might not want to go. You know, to prepare for a hurricane or a blizzard, you should have a fair amount of food and water in your house and batteries in the same way that you would prepare for an upcoming storm. You know, those those are the kinds of things that that people can do right now. Okay, Elizabeth Cohn and John Harwood, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Please stay safe. A special thanks to our audience as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. We'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.